0: Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, a Baptist perspective on history, culture, and theology. I'm Mark West. And I'm Matthew Lyons. And today we're interviewing Kyle Howard. So I know I've seen this in in my own experiences where people who've been abused by means of scripture, when when they escape, they can't read the Bible. Okay, so I'm a pastor, a Baptist pastor who's, you know, the first Baptist distinctive is biblical authority. So my go-to for solutions and for pastoral care is to say, well, let's see what scripture says. But in this case, that's, that's triggering. So how do you, how do you uh, maybe speak to the abused, but also to the pastors when someone has been abused spiritually? How do you spiritually care for them or how can they be spiritually cared for?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. So, so first thing that I would say, and this is this is part of what, the book that I'm currently writing right now, uh, which is called "When the Church Becomes a Trigger," is mm-hmm. going to be talking about all the various ways that spiritual trauma, spiritual abuse, leads people to be triggered by spiritual um, expression, whether it be prayer, worship, Bible reading, congregational gatherings, preaching, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So the first thing I I would say is that in order to truly grasp what spiritual abuse is, you really got to think and you really have to broaden your mind to think about abuse in general. Um, uh, Spiritual abuse is what's uh, one of the things I said recently. I know I said on Twitter was that uh, what sexual assault is to the body, uh, spiritual abuse is to the soul. It's an assault on the soul. And it has. The, and it has devastating impact. Now, again, this not I'm not minimizing sexual assault here, as we've already talked about. I believe that all of it is interconnected. Someone who's been sexually assaulted has also been, had the, has been spiritually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Someone who's been spiritually assaulted has also been physically assaulted as, as they have to deal with the, the, the dynamics of trauma, psychological trauma. And, and that's what I'm basically getting at, is that when you assault a soul, it's not just devastating to that person's spirit, but it's also devastating to their mind and body as well. And there are certain ways in which the traumatized mind seeks to combat um, the pain of trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, a trauma is an assault on the mind. And, one, and, and, and in response to that, the brain, being as, as, uh, as awesome, miraculous as it is in God's design, ha- develops its own defense mechanisms to prevent uh, compounding pain or pro- compounding trauma. And some of the defense mechanisms that it de- develops is what we call traumatic triggers. A traumatic trigger is basically the brain's way of sounding an alarm that's, that the thing that hurt you is in the vicinity and mm-hmm. it could happen again. So that's why somebody can be just going about the day doing, doing whatever and then something happens and then they, what's called triggered. Which is a word we use far too often with, with no real meaning behind it. But yeah. when 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 a person is triggered, their brain is setting off the defense mechanism, which is an alarm saying that hey, this thing that's happening or is, uh, that is about to happen is reminiscent of what caused your, your your what caused me pain, what caused me trauma. Get out of there or shut down. And, and so um, if you and, and when someone is triggered, they they can either shut down. There's a lot of different ways in which people respond to that. But what's happening there is, again, their brain is doing a defense mechanism. So uh, let me give you some examples here. If someone's been sexually assaulted, um, say say a woman who's been sexually assaulted, it's very understandable if that woman now feels unsafe around men and is very cautious around men. Uh, We don't call that person, that woman, a sexist uh, when she's cautious around men. Um, now, as you know, I do work in racial trauma care, and there's a lot of minorities who've been traumatized by uh, uh, white Christians within largely white, dominated white spaces, who are, are very cautious and careful around white people because that is the object of their trauma. Right. And, but mad people are mad quick to call them racist. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Likewise, when someone has been spiritually abused and the Bible has been weaponized against them, when when they hear the Bible and they begin shutting down or they begin having these impulses of, you know, fight or flight, uh, we're quick to say, oh, you don't love the Bible anymore. You don't love God anymore. Or your, your faith has been compromised, not realizing that, no, their, their minds have developed a defense mechanism. And since the Bible was what was weaponized against them, it's the Bible now that the, the, the mind sets, sets off an alarm. You know, get away from that. And, and, and we should pause. Just imagine how devastating that is. Right. The word of God the, the, that, is, that God has given his people to comfort them in mm-hmm. times of need. Becomes the very thing that people have to flee because how it's been used against them. Yeah, that 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 I mean, that that should cause all of us to fall on our faces right. when we think about what this—the the, 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 the weight of that. Same thing with prayer. That mm-hmm. that these are worship. That that these things have been weaponized against people in such a way that they that people who once found comfort in them are now traumatically triggered by them. And so, what I would say to the person who this this, this is triggering for is one that it is actually normal for these responses to exist in light of what you have experienced. What's common with people who now become triggered, they begin thinking, oh my God, I've lost my faith. You know, know, I don't know what's happening to me. I used to love these things. Do I no longer love God? They start thinking in all these categories that they themselves have fallen, that they themselves have become apostate and not realizing that, no, what has happened here is that you have genuinely experienced trauma, spiritual trauma, and your mind is trying to reorient itself to its new reality, which is that it's been traumatized. And in that process, it's developed defense mechanisms related to the various spiritual um, expressions that actually were used against you. And so what I would tell that person is, is that, one, and this is one of the hardest things in trauma care, is helping people to understand and come to terms with the fact that they have actually indeed been traumatized. Hmm. And so, But that's the beginning of, beginning of healing is coming to terms with the fact that you actually have something to heal from. Right. So, what I would tell people is that um, who have been spiritually traumatized is that the struggles and challenges that you're having are actually natural uh, for your mind to have. Your, God created your mind that way. Hmm. And then as a, an encouragement, I would tell them that as Jesus has suffered in every way, he's also experienced trauma, even spiritual trauma, as it was the religious authorities that cried out, crucify him. Okay. It was um, the Romans who crucified him that mocked his God um, and, and mocked him. And he was ultimately, as he sought to serve and love and minister the word of God to people, that the very people he was ministering the word of God to turned on him, seeking his death. And so Jesus knows what it's like to be. And that's not even dealing with the physical trauma of torture, right. um, or the, the, the sexual trauma of being or, or the physical trauma of being stripped naked. Um, and, and hung to, for, as, a, as public shame, um, as he's hung in his nakedness you know, on a cross, all those kinds of things. There's no kind of trauma that Jesus himself cannot uh, sympathize with, as he understands and has been through it. And also, he, God created your mind. God created the intricacies of the mind. He's the, he, and he created the defense mechanisms that a traumatized mind works with. And so God is not ashamed of you. Because you are spiritually traumatized and your mind is developing these defense mechanisms around the things that he's he's given, like the word of like his word and prayer, and these that and the other. He understands what you're going through, and so don't feel like you have to explain yourself or explain mm-hmm. your trauma to God, or don't feel like you should have to be ashamed that you struggle with these things. God understands; He knows even better than you do what you are going through and what your mind is taking you through um, in this process, and you can rest in Him. For pastors, what I would tell them is that it is um, – there are no words to describe how essential it is for pastors to become more trauma-informed uh, mm-hmm. regarding these things. Because a pastor can be a, 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 a soothing bomb for someone who has experienced spiritual trauma, or they can cause – Profound devastation because of their their position of a the position as a pastor and the spiritual authority that comes with that. Even if they not don't want it, if you're a pastor, you have Mm -hmm. spiritual authority. There's authority and there's that comes with that office. And if you if you are not compassionate and empathetic to people who have spiritual trauma, then you will cause a lot of pain. And so one of the things, like just on a real practical level, that I've said is that. We don't shame, typically. Uh, I hope not. Uh, uh, people who are shut-ins because of health issues, right. uh, who can't come to church. What 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 does a faithful pastor do? Yeah,
0: he, he meets
1: them where they're at. He mm-hmm. goes to them. Maybe even serves in the Lord's supper, prays with them, reads the Bible with them, and everything else. We need to understand that people who have spiritual trauma are also are, are have. Are, are, are psychologically wounded and scarred. They're, they're spiritually and physiologically wounded people. And so you should not be shaming them because they can't come to church. Hmm. Um, you should go meet, if, if, if possible, you should go meet them where they're at. And again, depending on the dynamics, depending on the depth of trauma, they may not feel safe. But you should be doing everything you can to to love them and to affirm them and to encourage them, not shame them as they are trying to process through and heal uh, from their spiritual trauma. They should be more looked at as being like those who can't come to church because of uh, physical ailments, not looked at as being backsliders or apostates because of uh, the defense mechanisms that their mind has created to protect them from compounding uh, spiritual trauma.
0: Yeah, so let me so what you're saying is there's the pastors who abuse people. And obviously Mm -hmm. that could be any of us, unknowingly even, and definitely they're out there, but then there's the pastor who pastors after the abuser. And if they don't know what they're doing, it's like someone who who hurt their leg and then you push them, not knowing that a healthy person, you can, you know, you can kind of push a healthy person and there's no problem. But if you push someone injured, so these pastors who would never abuse anyone and they're trying not to abuse people, they can end up being abusive to people who have been hurt because they don't know what, how to handle it.
1: Absolutely. And there's a third category, which I would call uh, pastors who, who, because of their ignorance regarding a spiritual abuse and power dynamics, they actually either abuse or enable abuse mm. um, it, while being well-intentioned. Yeah, And so the, you, you can have an elder that enables another elder to be abusive because mm-hmm. they overlook abuse because they don't understand the signs uh, okay. that should actually be crying out. Or they, they're not listening to the person who is little, literally crying out. Yeah. Um, or you can have somebody who, again, like we've seen all these minutes. just recently. I, I think an example we could use is with Rabbi Zacharias, uh, yeah. where uh, for years um, the, the, these charges have been out there you know, in the public, you know, right. and, and what, what's going on. And uh, I, I remember when I was invited to the Rabbi Zacharias's headquarters and I declined the invite because of the accusations that were out that I didn't felt were dealt with. And I, I told him that. So I know at least for me, they heard of concerns yeah. about that. And the but what happened? The board of trustees kept saying no. We 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 talked to him. He said this, that, and the other. He explained it away. He's fine. There's no way that Ravi could ever do that, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And now it's become uh, basically an independent investigation that's confirmed that he's actually had these massage parlors where he was sexually assaulting women mm-hmm. um, as a Christian apologist who owned massage parlors, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so there are there are pastors and Christian leaders, some who I know by name, yeah. who enabled. Um, uh, Rabbi Zacharias to continue in ministry doing what he was doing because they were his peer buddies, and yeah. they and 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 so they and, and and as well intentioned as they may have been, they became enablers. Um, the same thing could be said about C.G. Mahaney and like Sovereign Grace Ministries, where I mean, just to be frank, um, Sovereign Grace Ministries has been known as being profoundly toxic environment for a very long time. Uh, But because he was a gifted author and a gifted writer, people were willing to overlook that and continuing to platform him, which in that, Again, enabled abuse. I think if people would have saw the signs, uh, then they would have been able to see that some, some of the statements that Sovereign Grace put out was mad textbook uh, <laughs> gaslighting, abusive, manipulative, and everything else. Right. And so I, I remember me and other people who were like, again, uh, trauma-informed, you know, abuse counselors and advocates, we were sitting like, yo, this is so textbook. Who does their PR? This is horrible. Like, they ain't even trying. Right. You know, other people were like, yo, this is a great letter. This is awesome. I was right. like, and so, so just understanding and learning and growing regarding, you know, being trauma-informed so that you have these categories so that when you begin seeing people's rhetoric or the way people move, you're able to identify, hey, these patterns actually are suspects. And yeah, that can, and that that's can, interesting.
0: You talk about that letter. I read that letter and I had that reaction of like, oh, this was nice. When it, how, what was that maybe five years ago or four years yeah, ago? Something like that, yeah. Looking And then I, I tried to listen and learn. But that was me. I I would have run from any abuse that I saw, but I didn't see it. And so it's it's not just being against abuse. It's actually knowing what it is, being able to recognize it, be able to to fight against it. And it, it doesn't come naturally. And they certainly don't teach it in whatever Bible college or seminary you went to.
1: Oh, fa- yeah. They don't, they don't, I, I think all of us, we, we went, we went to, I know we went to seminary and there was mm-hmm. no, we didn't have a class, that alone a course. There was no class on power dynamics in the pastorate. No. Or spiritual abuse. Like none at all. Nothing unless even close to that. If anything. was teaching. On class-
0: Unless they're teaching you how to do it, which I have some of those classes.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but another one just recently would be that uh, – I know I'm calling out names. I'm sorry. But I think it's just, it's just helpful to actually have things that people can actually look at and assess. Right. But the recent thing, kerfuffle <laughs> with uh, Dave Ramsey in the letter they oh. put out, it was like, yo, they need yeah. to fire whoever their PR person is because yep. they're, they're unless they were, they're, they're, their job was actually they wanted to uncover the cover-up.
0: <laughs> oh, right. They were horrible that's at exciting. their job
1: because the, the language is just so profoundly toxic yeah. and abusive and manipulative. It, it wasn't even they—they they were trying.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, and- that's 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 a good recent example where this time around I was actually able to identify it, but. Yeah, that's a good example. Oh, the
1: CJ, the, the Simon Grace was much better than that. That was, this This one was like, that was like kind of like a uh, bad light. And then this one was like, man, they were just tired. They were like, they yeah. weren't even trying. They're like, you know it what? Worries, we want you to know what we kind of, what kind of yeah. organization we <laughs> are. We don't we care. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the other ones were actually trying to cover.
0: Right, right. But,
1: but, what, but let me say this though, that it's important that pastors understand these things because if you, if, listen, those who have been abused can be, it, it, it does create kind of a hyper awareness
0: mm. because
1: yeah. you've been because And that's the way that the, again, a traumatized mind works is that it doesn't want to be traumatized again. So there's mm. like a hyper awareness. And so when, like, if, if the average person, you know, they say like 80% of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. If the average, and I'm just throwing out numbers here, this is not like, you know, uh, objective, but if the average person is able to discern 30% of, of gestures and their mm-hmm. meaning a traumatized person can probably uh, interpret 80% of people's Mm. gestures. They become hypersensitive and hyper-aware to every person's movement of their hands, of their mannerisms, facial expressions, and all those kinds of things. And one of the things about many many pastors prove themselves uh, not trustworthy uh, within moments uh, because of how they respond to somebody who's maybe telling their story how they speak about other people who may have been accused of something, and the way that they can be dismissive of that, or yeah. the, this the, the way that they interpret certain Bible passages. Like when they think about an example of that is a sexual abuse survivor hearing a pastor talk about how Bathsheba mm. uh, was willingly was promiscuous and yeah. just willingly threw her hands in David to David, where the language there not only is the language clear in Hebrew that, that the aggressive nature of the taking, yeah. but the actual contextually given the power dynamics. Uh, <laughs> He, she was raped. Yeah. Um, and, and so things like that will, will will alert people of whether or not someone is safe or not. And I, I think one of the things that pastors need to do is they need to uh, begin doing a lot more work in understanding um, power dynamics and, mm-hmm. and, and how these things operate and what they are and how they can influence and this and the other, and, and so that they don't compound the pain. Now, real quickly, I know one of the pushbacks I'm going to get is, but that's secular stuff. they ain't no power dynamics and this, that, and the other, to yeah. which I would respond is, one, Jesus had a lot to say about power and the way in which right. people ministered power. And then two, uh, all truth is God's truth, as the saying goes. And the American church, uh, predominantly white American church, does not really have a good track record of discerning whether or not uh, it's faithfully applying power. Uh, mm-hmm. dynamics, giving the history of segregation and slavery. And so Absolutely. if there's something that you can learn uh, from experts who have devoted their lives to understanding the ways in which human beings uh, uh, administer power in anti-Christian ways, even if they are secularist, you can still benefit. With that being said, uh, before I forget, let me just mention real quickly that Diane Lamborg's book, Redeeming Power, yeah. uh, is an excellent book uh, to begin with. Um, I would recommend that wholeheartedly. I actually endorsed the book in the inside cover of it. Um, we'll we'll I, link
0: to that in the uh, show notes.
1: Yeah. And then Wade Mullins' book, Something's Not White" right, um, is another excellent book, followed by a book called, I don't know who wrote it, uh, but uh, The Subtle, the, what is it called? The Subtle uh, Power of Spiritual Abuse, I think the name is. Um, something of that nature. I'm sorry. I think it's called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, We'll look that up.
1: Yeah, but those are some books that you can get your hands on uh, yeah. to begin. But I, I'd recommend them in that order. Diane Lamberg, followed by Wade Mullen, uh, followed by uh, the, the Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, I believe the name of it is.
0: Okay. You can also follow them on Twitter. I've been following um, Diane Lambert and Wade Mullins for a while and in their free, free counseling, free training. Um,
1: yeah, I'm and really that, that is the name honest. of it. I just looked it up. It's The Subtle okay. Power of Spiritual Abuse by David Johnson.
0: Yeah, and let me just say for our context, uh, independent Baptists are known for abusive leaders. Like, that's one of the distinctives of independent Baptists, starting with J. Frank Norris, who, who basically was the first independent Baptist, one of the most notorious abusers, going up to um, people like Jack Hiles, Jack Scop, Jack Treber, um, Paul Chappell, Clarence Sexton. I'm getting myself in trouble with these names. These are living and in charge. They're not. I don't know what their intentions are. I don't know what their plans are, but I can see the results and the results are the leaders in our movement have been abusive leaders. And we are still working with these people because we either can't identify it or worse, we don't want to stand against it. And everything you're saying, Kyle is, is revealing we don't know what we're doing as pastors in relation to power dynamics and abuse. And as a result, people are leaving our churches hurt, traumatized. um, Then they're labeled because they don't respond to normal. What we see as normal pastoral care. They, um, they come across in our view as bitter or angry, which I think are terms used to marginalize people. And as a result the the people who should know are the ones causing the problem. So uh, yeah, this is, this is, directly um we we just we just interviewed these these trauma um survivors and it was their spiritual leaders in their churches who did this and in that interview they said to me we went to other pastors for help and they wouldn't help us they said they were for us but they never did anything and now i don't remember if it was all of them but but the ones who said it specifically said we don't go to church anymore because we don't know where to go and we're not going to go into an abusive situation. And as a pastor, I told them, I don't know what to tell you. I I can't tell you to go to church at this point. Um, it it was sort of that moment where like, I don't know what to do to help you, (laughs) but they were, they, they said, we want to seek God, but we can't go to church. And we're, so now we're just by ourselves.
1: Yeah. And what I would say to that is, uh, is, and I, I've gotten in trouble for saying this, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, it's true. So, I don't mean, I don't care, but there is absolutely a time where someone who has experienced spiritual abuse would be best served not going to church. Mm. Because what church is doing for them, it's not beneficial, it's not building up, it's a place that's triggering for them. And so it's basically every time they go to church, it's twisting the knife. It's not, uh, it's not removing the knife and putting a bomb over the wound. And so uh, it, it's wisdom that tells them I should not be in this space because this space is harmful for me during this time. Yeah. The, the, tra- the, the travesti- There's a couple of travesties that are happening there. One is the fact that they are in that place because of spiritual abuse. And so the tragedy of, uh, tra- the tragedy of abuse itself uh, but the second one is that they would have to go through that alone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where um, but which is what happens. And, I'm, and let me just be one hundred here and say, um, which means you know, let me be just tell the truth here and say that that happens because many of our churches operate out of cultic paradigms. You're mm-hmm. either in or out.
0: You either yeah. you're either
1: a member in the pew or I don't have time for you. Yeah, that is a very cultic way of of doing church. More than that. When someone is a member of the church and they leave, it's immediately, okay, you left. You're a member someone else. Okay, bye. Cut off.
0: Yeah.
1: That's, that's what Mormons do. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. Um, that's what other cults do. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of churches do, is that they cut people off. They yeah. cut people off as soon as they leave membership and they cut people off as soon as they um, if they don't feel like that person's going to be able to contribute uh, to the empire they're building called the church. Right. So if this person is not going to be in the pew, hoping uh, to build this empire, I ain't got time for them. And yeah. so I'm not going to go to where they are. I'm not going to meet them where they're at and be willing to to uh, inconvenience myself uh, for them. Uh when the perspective should be, it's not an inconvenience. It's a joy, in a, a, to serve uh, Christ's people. And if they are not able to enter this space right now uh, for their own sense of safety, I if and if they're able to to receive me, then which is an important point. There, if they're able to receive me, you want to be open and and willing, but you don't want to inf- to force yourself on someone while they're in a process of healing, especially if you have if you're a pastor, because that you that title can be triggering to some who've been abused by a pastor. Uh, And so you want to be open and willing, but you don't want to enforce yourself. But if they're willing to receive you, that you're willing to meet them where they're at, Uh, the same way a faithful pastor would meet anyone else who's unable to come to church because of uh, some kind of physiological uh, challenges that they have. Yeah. In this case, it's psychological; it's it's trauma uh, that is keeping them from being able to enter into that space.
0: Yeah, this year is a perfect or last year is a perfect example with COVID. If someone comes to you and says pastor i have asthma i'm I'm recovering from cancer treatment i i can't come to church right now because i I fear that it will you know i'll I'll get covid any decent pastor would say oh i understand you're at risk stay home where it's safe watch us on youtube and you're saying this is the same thing you wouldn't pressure someone with complications to come to church and put themselves at risk physically why would you do it spiritually
1: once upon a time uh, there was this man named Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman <laughs> mm-hmm. and the Samaritan woman asked him, where should are we? They say that the only place that I can worship is at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus tells her that I'm telling you that there is coming a day where people will not worship, you know, in buildings made of stone by, by human hands, but they will worship in spirit and truth. Yeah. And yeah. which yeah. means theologically speaking, anyone who has the Holy spirit wherever they bow their knee or wherever they stand, it is sacred mm-hmm. space. Yeah, And so we portray our theology when we think that someone must be in a specific space, even if that's the church um, that, and in order to be in the presence of God or to be faithful before the Lord yeah. um, that has nothing to, that that has to do with the, uh, the righteousness of God that is given as a gift through faith. It has nothing to do with location. Uh, Whether or not you in the presence of God. And uh, now I know people will say, well, what about the Bible says not forsaking the, you know, the gathering of the brethren? Um, God understands trauma. God is the one who created the human brain and God is not sitting there like, oh, you you're forsaking, you're forsaking the brother, the brethren or you're forsaking the church gathering because you've been spiritually traumatized by the church. No, because God knows that most of the, the vast majority of people who can't be in this space want to. Yeah. Their choices, they're, they're not like, they they can't go despite, and that's one of the things about spiritual trauma that I, th- I think is often not grasped is that we're often not talking about people who don't want to be in church. We're talking about people who are lamenting.
0: Yeah. And
1: often consumed with with shame and guilt that they should not have. That's That may be a whole nother topic, but mm-hmm. that you should not feel shame and guilt because of, your spiritual trauma and because of your inability to be in a a church space right now. Yeah. They feel overwhelmed with shame and guilt because they can't be in that space. And then the people who are in that space are shaming them further by saying that they have somehow disconnected from God or being unfaithful because they won't enter a space that's detrimental to them. You know, and so uh, thinking of that story of Jesus, where Jesus basically is, is laying the, is dropping the mic on the new covenant and saying that, A, the time's coming where, where all the people of God are going to be endowed with the Holy Spirit, and so they will not have to go to a temple in order to worship, but anywhere they lift their head, God hears them.
0: I think we need to point out that that woman was a victim of trauma. Yeah, amen. She, she had been traumatized by the, the husbands that had divorced her, which you need to know the Bible to know that she was divorced uh, in that culture. Uh, and so Jesus dealt with us. So let me finish with this then. I think one of the first things pastors need to do after listening to this is just do the work, do the research, learn, grow, um, you know, rightly divide the scripture, learn from other Christians, learn from other uh, people. But what, what do you, from a sort of a bedside manner, what kind of demeanor and, and immediate response do pastors need to have when victims come to them? or when they sense that someone is, is revealing something or, or bringing, what kind of um, that immediate response?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And it's a great question because I kind of want to take a little bit of a curve and say that it doesn't, be, uh, the demeanor uh, doesn't begin when someone is coming to you. Hmm. The demeanor begins with how you present yourself to the people of God, even from the pulpit. Hmm. Um, the, the, there is this thing that has happened Where um, we have, uh, the church has uh, mistaken, uh, uh, let me think of the best way to say this, Uh, hostile proclamation Hmm. for prophetic boldness,
0: Hmm.
1: where preachers uh, are hostile in the pulpit, they're not prophetically bold. Yeah. They think they're being prophetically bold. They think that they're actually being energized by the Holy Ghost and they're just being bold as they call things the task and everything else. But no, what it actually is, is it's, 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 it's hostility. It's, it's, it's hostility. It's not it's not prophetic. Um, and this also happens on social media. There's a lot of people on social media who think that they're being uh, prophetically they're bold when in really they're just, being, they're just being hostile.
0: Yeah,
1: you know. And so what I would say is that for the person who has been spiritually traumatized they see a hostile person in the pulpit; they're not coming to you after the talk. Right. If they see somebody who's prophetically bold, in, in the pulpit, who's willing to call out truth, is willing to be like Jesus and advocate for the marginalized, advocate for the professed, who is both gentle and yet at the same time uh, direct, as someone who is both kind—that's a word that you don't often hear from about preachers. They yeah. he was he's from from his preaching. I discern that he's a kind man. How yeah. often do you how often do, you do after someone preaches, do you interpret them as being kind or is that even a category?
0: I'm trying to think I of get, own preaching now. <laughs>
1: I, I, I I like like will talk when people listen to Jesus. Yeah. They never question his kindness. Even mm-hmm. after he turned over tables and and chased out tax collectors, children still wanted to play with him. And mm-hmm. chil- and women st- women who have been abused their entire lives still were willing to come to him and wipe his feet in his with their hair so Jesus was a man who could be prophetically bold and yet children found him completely unthreatening and women felt completely unintimidated or, or you know by him you know and so I think that there has to be a recapturing now again I'm not saying you got to get into the pulpit and sound like a mouse but what I am saying is that we have to completely and utterly recalibrate you know how we understand, uh, the heralding and the proclamation of the word of God, because kindness and gentleness should never have to be compromised in exchange for prophetic boldness. And if there is a compromise taking place there, it's not prophetic boldness. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I think it begins with that the demeanor of the preacher will determine who enters his counsel his counseling chambers. Does that make sense? Where where. Yeah. Yeah, So I think that I think that's crucial. Many, many kind of as a side note, I know this isn't what we're talking about in this episode, but I think it's super important. Uh, Even when it comes to things like depression and suicidal ideations, many pastors will never have a conversation with a person who's struggling with suicidal thoughts or serious, profound depression, not because they don't exist in their their, their pews, but because the people who are struggling are too afraid to come to that pastor and share that depth of vulnerability. So likewise, people who have been spiritually traumatized, they need to know that you're safe. And if they don't think that you're safe, that you you will you will never meet them. Yeah, they'll be in your church and out your church and you'll never be the wiser um, because you never actually presented your demeanor in a way that actually said, come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdensome and I will give you rest.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and Baptists love preaching and rightly so because of our emphasis on the spirit and the, and the scripture and the direct impact of the spirit on the soul so preaching is central to the baptist church and what you're saying is and and really we've been we haven't been taught how to preach correctly like our preaching is not christ-like not the text not the doctrine but the actual preaching itself is not christ-like yeah and i think that's a wake-up call i know i'm gonna think Long and hard about the Sunday this week.
1: Yeah, I'm not preaching right now, but I—I I, I mean, I said that. Now I'm like, dang, yo, I need to yeah. Yeah, put <laughs> that, that down. But but that is the goal, though, right? We—I yeah. mean, even even when I—I I hope that even when I say that, uh, I hope every preacher listening is like, I want that to be me, right? I I want people when they hear my preaching that to, to come away with, he just kindly delivered the word of God, it yeah. with such bold prophetic boldness. Yeah. And, if, and we have a testimony. In fact, we have for them of a man who did just that. Right. You know, and so, you know, we're not, we haven't been left hanging in regards to how to do that. It just requires Christ likeness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and spiritual growth. This is sanctification. Yeah. Amen. Sanctification doesn't end when you become a pastor. I've learned that the hard way. <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I'm yeah. not a pastor, but I learned that through fatherhood.
0: Yeah, Yo. <laughs> uh, you Mark, don't want me
1: to open that can of worms. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Man, kids will show you who you really are. They, middle of the night, you'll find out whether you're patient or not. <laughs> I learned <Man>. that, <laughs> and yeah, and pastors the same way. All right, um, this is uh, we might break this up in two episodes. No, this is this is really. I really appreciate you coming on and. It really, I think, for some of our listeners, it's a wake-up call. Um, for some of our listeners, it's encouragement to continue. I know there's pastors out there who are trying to to be Christ-like and care for the for the, uh, the marginalized, but don't know how. So uh, this is this is the kind of thing we need to hear, and this is why it's important to look at the theology that we have as Baptists, and then actually see what that looks like in the real world not just on our statement of faith. What I see with Baptists is they either have a statement of faith that they don't know what that means in real life, or they just change it practically. And so you have Baptist churches that are not real Baptist churches. And if Baptist is the biblical way, when you when you depart from it and abuse people, you're casting shame on scripture and and again on Christ himself. So I, I really appreciate your work. And if everyone who knows anything about anything knows you didn't start thinking about this. This week, when we asked you to come on the podcast, you spent (laughs) you spent at least a decade um, getting to this point. And so so we appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, If people want to follow you uh, at their own risk, um, how can they follow you?
1: Yeah, at their own risk. Let me preface it again. (laughs) Uh, They can follow me on Twitter at Kyle James Howard. Um, uh, my, full disclosure, my Twitter uh, account is a place that I primarily uh, discuss spiritual abuse and racial trauma. And so most of my tweets are going to be in relation to uh, race, racial trauma. And so white supremacy is talked about a lot and, yeah. uh, and spiritual abuse. Um, I also have a uh, podcast uh, that's actually launching again tomorrow. We're launching Corm Deo podcast, um, along with another one called Soul Care, which is going to be launching tomorrow as well. And where I, I talk about uh, issues related to uh, soul care, like all the things that were some of the things we've been talking about today. Yeah. And then finally, of course, if um, you can uh, partner with me in my work um, through becoming a Patreon, uh, my primary ministry right now is providing uh, free trauma informed soul care uh, to Christians who lack the economic uh, resources to be able to pop- to pay for it. And so basically through donor support, I offer free counseling, free soul care uh, to, uh, to Christians who are struggling and in need of care who can't afford it. All right. And uh, where can they find that? You said on Patreon? It's on Patreon. I have a nonprofit that's launching in the next month or two. Uh, it was supposed to launch last year, but COVID. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh, if you go to my uh, website, uh, KyleJHoward.com, uh, under the support um, tab, you can see uh, my Patreon uh, right. from there.
0: Last question, um, which is better New York or Atlanta hip hop
1: oh oh hip hop <laughs> new York with, with the exception of outcast uh, oh apart from outcast um yeah New York one hundred percent,
0: but yeah, because outcast is such a big deal, I don't know if yeah, outcast saying. was listened to religiously in New York as well, they
1: had respect for right. Boston map, yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> And of course there's right. some other the cats, but yeah, New York, one hundred percent.
0: You heard it from from the guy who's <laughs> with them both. New York is better. East <laughs> Coast. That's where we're at. <laughs> All right, Kyle. I really appreciate you coming on here. I hope um hope people listen to you, follow you, and put their money where their mouth is. <laughs> and then that that this will have an impact on the churches. All right, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at com or message us on Twitter at History and Hope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice.